Hey, who's glad to be in church? Anybody glad to be in church? Man, I'm glad to be in church. If this is your first time here at church, I want to welcome you. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here at Elevate Church. And you jumped in uh, on the third week in a series called Mind Monsters. And we're talking about these monsters in our mind, monsters of fear and doubt and worry, anxiety, depression, monsters that keep us ultimately from becoming who God wants us to become. And these monsters that seem scary initially, that seem like they wield power in our lives, ultimately we're discovering they are powerless. They're powerless against us, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. In other words, we are no match for these monsters at times that invade our minds, but they are also no match for God. And so we're taking these thoughts captive. We're, we're making them bow at the feet of God and having God you know, take care of these thoughts that are in our minds. So today uh, is going to be a little heavier. I wanna throw that out there. We're talking about a, a monster called depression, but knowing that it's gonna be a little heavier of a day, I thought I'd start with something lighter. Um, it was about, man, three years ago or so, four years ago, uh, my son, my third born, number three, Jake, was seven years old. And we were on this trip, the whole family going from Erie down to Charlotte, North Carolina, to hang out with my wife's brother, and sister, and we took the dog with us too. We have a little, uh, uh, it's a Cavapoo. King Charles Cavalier Spaniel and Poodle Mix. I don't know, it's my wife's dog, all right? Just don't judge me. But we had this little dog. We took our dog, it's, we have this kennel, this you know steel kind of kennel that, that we travel with. And so we were in this hotel, uh, Hampton, and we always stay at a hotel with uh, you know breakfast buffets, because I got four boys, come on, all right? I got four boys, they love breakfast buffets. So we're staying at this Hampton in, and we get up in the morning, go down the elevator to, to breakfast, and I have my son Jake, just him and me at the time, and this empty kennel, this dog kennel. The dog was upstairs, I think. And so we were going down, and there were some people in the elevator, and they're like, where's the dog? And I'm kind of joking around, I'm like, that's not for the dog, that's for Jake right here, who's seven years old. And there were some other kids, they're laughing, ha ha, that's funny. But it, something like sparked in Jake's mind. And so when we got into the lobby and started walking out, there were these two older, older ladies kind of sitting in there. And I was walking out with this kennel in one hand, Jake in the other, and we were just kind of walking out. And they're like, oh, where's the dog? And Jake looks at him and goes, that's for me. <laughs> Without missing a beat. That's Jake. He's just, I mean, he's quick. He's quick. And I know as soon as we walked out, because we didn't crack a smile or anything, those ladies called child services immediately on us. But sometimes depression, honestly, can feel a little bit like you're trapped. It can feel a little bit like you're, you're stuck in a cage, right? You, there's this fog in your mind, and it doesn't seem like there's a great way out. And so today we're going to talk about this, this monster called depression. And really, um, it was about, man, a little over a year ago, there was a, a pastor who's in his 30s, took his life uh, because he didn't see any other way to... To, to have out, any other way out. So he took his life, left a uh, grieving wife, left three little boys, left a grieving church, you know, because of this mental illness that he was battling. In fact, every time you hear of a mass shooting anywhere, you always hear later on of how a mental disorder or mental illness kind of had a part to play in it. And so I just started thinking, you know what? Um, I need to educate myself. In a few months, I decided to, to start doing that. Now, I wanna preface all this by saying, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert on this. I'm not a counselor. If you have some, some deep depression, you really need to seek help, get a licensed counselor or therapist. I'm a pastor, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bring you God's word because I believe God can heal all things, amen? Like we learned that last week, we have a God can. That God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. So I'm gonna point you to what God's word says. I'm gonna tell you a little bit of what I've learned about it, but then ultimately bring it back to God's word. Here's a few things that I've learned. Depression really is a type of mood disorder and it's characterized by what's called anhedonia. Uh, some of you have heard of that, you, you, you know what that is, but here's a definition of anhedonia. It is the inability to feel pleasure anymore. So in other words, things this, that used to bring you joy don't bring you any more joy. It's this inability to feel pleasure, and it also is marked by extreme sadness, ex uh, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, uh, feelings of guilt, helplessness, 
hopelessness. And I was reading through that and reading through that definition, and I realized every one of us have been there. Every one of us have been there or are there that we've all experienced some symptoms of depression. We've all battled with it to one degree or another from one time or another. In fact, according to several articles I read, depression ranks as either the number one or the number two uh, greatest problems, health problems in the world today. And several studies will tell you that one out of every nine people are currently on some type of depression medication, one out of nine. And one out of five have been on some type of depression medication. Antidepressants are up 300% and climbing. And it's kind of the world that we live in. And one of the problems uh, that I've discovered as kind of diving into this is there's this stigma on this, this disorder in fact, if I was to tell you today, hey, I don't, I don't feel that great today. You know, I feel a little sick under the weather. You might be like, oh, hey, man, Colby, we're so sorry that you're sick. I mean, you look good because, come on, I always look good, all right? But you would just say, we're sorry you're a little sick. And you wouldn't think anything of it, right? If I was to tell you I had the cold or I had a flu, you'd be like, oh, yeah, we're sorry. We hope you, you feel better. But if I was to tell you I had this mental illness, you'd be like, wow, there's something wrong with you. Because we have this stigma that's been placed on it. And listen to me, that has to be removed in Jesus' name. Because there's not a lot of difference between a physical illness and a mental illness. You need to hear this. Your identity is not tied to your illness. And so we place this stigma on it. We look differently at people who are, are battling through it. And so I want to say right off the bat that everybody who comes into this church Listen, I know church is a place where we all like to pretend everything's okay, where we all got to put on the mask, and, and from time to time, people will walk in and look at, at people in church and think, oh, they got it all together, that they're perfect. They don't have any kind of, of problems at all. They're perfect. Listen to me. No, they're not. We're not. We all have issues. We all have things that we are, are battling and working through, and if you'd say there, Colby, I don't have any issues, well, that's your issue right there because you're a liar, Right? This is a place, listen to me, it's okay not to be okay. You need to know that. It's okay not to be okay. As your pastor, as, as maybe you're, if you're just checking out the church and kicking the tires of faith and, and you're wondering if could this be your church home, I need you to understand you walked into a place uh, that's filled with people that are on a journey. That none of us have it figured out or worked out, right? This is, this is not a, a place of perfection. This is a hospital for the broken. And all of us have things that we are working through. So it's okay not to be okay. It really is. But until you accept that, until you believe that about you, until you believe that, that God thinks it's okay for you not to be okay, that, that we think it's okay for you not to be okay, then you will not get the help that you need. If you refuse to believe that it's okay not to be okay. Um, the little bit of research that I've done, I'm discovering that, and this was really eye-opening to me, that depression and anxiety are kind of, uh, are largely a lifestyle-related disease. It's a disease of lifestyle. One of the guys I've been reading a lot and uh, looking at some videos, in fact, he did a TED Talk. His name is Stephen Alardi. Some of you have heard of him, but he says this, that we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. This is all of us when you think about it. All of us live in this fast food, kind of fast paced, you know, stay indoors too long, sit at computers, you know, all too long, have, have too much going on on our schedule kind of life. And so we all kind of experience that. And you add to that, you don't have to receive this if you don't want to, but in my opinion, um, cell phone use and social media use is out of control. There you go. You just made a lot of enemies by doing that. No, it is, though, isn't it? Like, it's out of control. Like, a lot of researchers will tell you that raising our ch children, this next generation, on, on iPads and, and videos and apps and cartoons, it's actually shaping our brains. It's physically forming our brains in a negative way. And I don't know if you were, um, man, if you were my age or, or older, like we didn't have all that stuff growing up. Like we used to do what's called go outside and play, 
right? We used to play in the dirt, get dirt under our fingernails, and now, you know, you have 47,000 channels, you have Netflix and Hulu and, and all these different apps that keep you occupied all the time. Like, we didn't have that. When I was growing up, we had, I watched cartoons on Saturday morning until my parents told me, get your rear end outside, right? Um, and we had maybe 12 stations on TV. In fact, I was remembering this, that at midnight, what would happen on these major networks is they would play the national anthem and they would show a flag the rest of the night. So anybody remember that? Yeah, all right, sweet, I'm not alone. Like that would be it, right? Like and then it would just be nothing the rest of the night, but now it's 24 seven, all day long, all the access that you want and it's shaping our minds in a negative kind of way. Researchers have discovered that every culture that spends time outside in the sunlight Every culture, every time gets a little bit of dirt under their nails that are outside has less mental illness, has less mental disorders. So there's, there's something to that. In fact, many of the social media creators, and I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about the guys that created this stuff are coming out and saying, we're so sorry because this is not as healthy as we thought it would be. That it's, it's occupying too much of our, our time. It's, it's shaping our minds in a negative way. So you add to this, this kind of lifestyle-related um, um, disease, you add all our usage to that. On top of that, add to that a lack of identity. That's what we're experiencing in the world today. And I don't know if you realize this, but mental illness uh, more than doubles in people who have a lack of sexual identity. In other words, people who aren't sure you know, who they are, they're confused about that. It more than doubles there. Add on top of that our inability to um, process pain to, to have great coping mechanisms. Our, in other words, our, what we're doing right now to process pain is we're numbing it. We're drinking too much. We're eating too much. We're, we're, we're watching too much. We're, we're binge doing everything. And it's the complete wrong way of us kind of managing and processing our pain. In fact, it's been discovered the more that you dole your pain, the more depressed that you become. And so we're this generation of just kind of doling, doling, and doling. Add on top of that this peer-to-peer mentoring that's going on. What do you mean peer-to-peer mentoring? We're not listening to the generation that has gone before us anymore. We're not. It's all this, this peer-to-peer kind of mentoring. We're listening to everyone and getting our advice from everyone from 14 to, to 18 years old who has a cell phone and a social media account. That's where we're getting our wisdom from now. So this peer-to-peer mentoring, let me tell you something. Uh, If I listened to all my 15-year-old buddies growing up, I would not be here today, right? I probably wouldn't even be alive today. But now that's where everybody's getting their wisdom from. Anyone who has a cell phone and a social media account, that's where our wisdom is coming from. And can I tell you something? God didn't design it that way. God designed us to have this this youth-to-elder, elder-to-youth mentoring process. And I would challenge some of you that are older, there are some young people that are hungry for that. There really are. That wanna be trained, that wanna be mentored and developed. I would challenge you to get involved with some of our youth. But we have this, in this world of peer-to-peer, kind of mentoring, getting all our wisdom from from our friends and not from generations that have gone before us. And then, of course, uh, obviously, this narcissistic, it's all about me kind of selfie generation where we're so focused on ourselves and what we can get, it's destroying our minds. And again, not just in negative ways and negative thoughts, it's reshaping our brains. So with all this going on, what people sometimes tend to do is choose to end it all. Think about taking their their own life. In fact, one million people per year worldwide commit suicide. 40,000 Americans every single year choose to end their life, to take their life. It is, it doubles the murder rate. It is the number one killer of all people between the ages of 15 and 24. I need to ask your apology. I should have brought this to you a lot sooner than I have. Because it's something, depression, anxiety, this, this disorder really affects all of us to one degree or another. In fact, suicide is, is of course, a permanent, um, irreversible attempt uh, to get rid of a temporary problem. 
And can I tell you something? If, if that's the way that you're feeling, if you're, you're depressed and you've, you've considered um, you know, taking your own life, listen, our emotions are like waves. And as quickly as they come in, I promise you they will recede again. Like you don't have to end your life in order to end your pain. It doesn't have to get to that point. I promise you that they are emotions and you can't just go on your emotions. You can't choose to your life, live, live your life just by the way that you feel. Now I want you to hear this. It's real. Those feelings are real. I acknowledge it. We acknowledge it as a church. Your pain is very real, but trust me, your pain will recede again. It will recede again. Um, Pastor Rick Warren, who pastors Saddleback Church in, in Southern California, in fact, all over, he's got sites everywhere. Uh, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, books like that. His own son battled a mental disorder and committed suicide, took his own life. And Rick and Kay are kind of, they're very open about it. And I would encourage you, if you've ever been to that dark place in your mind or if you are there now, man, go listen to some of his teachings on it. And just go, go get to know some of his writings and what he says. In fact, he encourages everybody to know this number right here, 1-800-273-TALK. I just want you to write that down. 1-800-273-TALK. If you've ever been in that place or you are in that place or you know someone who is in that place, like that is the number you call, that's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And there are people there that are trained to help you and talk to you. 1-800-273-TALK. Now I wanna give you God's word on this because you should know God is not silent on the subject. Like he understands it. He understands. In fact, many uh, people of great faith in the Bible didn't just have great moments of faith. They had great bouts of depression as well. They were very dark, very tormenting times in their life. Week one in the series, we talked about Jesus during the darkest day of his life, right, in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, where there are many people in the Bible who have experienced these depression types of times. In fact, there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, who just shares openly about his depression. And look at Lamentations chapter three, verse 17. He says, I have been deprived of peace and I have forgotten. I want you to underline that word forgotten or highlight it. It's, it's, it's an important word. I've forgotten what prosperity is. I've forgotten what it means to be prosperous. That's why it's so important, by the way, for you to be here today, for you to be in church, for you to be filling your mind with God's word because God wants to remind you of all that he has for you. How many of you know it's easy to forget all the good things that God has for your life, but this is what happens when we battle these moments of depression and anxiety. We forget all the prosperous things that God wants for us. I've forgotten what prosperity is, and then he says this, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I have hoped for from the Lord. In other words, he has no more hope, right? His hope is gone. And then he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering and my bitterness and gall. I remember my affliction. That's his problem. He's remembering it. He's doing what psychologists refer to as ruminating. Ruminating on something is turning it over and over in your mind. When you ruminate on something, you're not listening to any other voices. You're only listening to you. You're only listening to, to your thoughts, the negative things that you have. That's what ruminating is. In fact, it comes from the word, uh, it's the same word used when a cow chews cud. You know what that is? Some of you are like, I have no idea. All right, for the farmers in the room, like farmersonly.com, just a little plug for that, but no, I'm just kidding. But when a cow chews cud, right, it gets it and it starts kind of, you know, mowing on it, gnawing on it, whatever, and it swallows it. Gets all those juices, swallows it down, and then it like regurgitates it, brings it up for a second round, right? And chews it on it some more and swallows it back down and brings it up again. It's like, mm, that was good the first time. Let's go for another round. That's what ruminating is. That's what it actually means, to chew on something, to swallow it, to, to bring it back up, to chew on it, Again, here's what it looks like for you. My mom is always a dot, dot, dot. And that's all we talk about, that's all I think about. She just does this, never is helpful. My dad is a this. My boss is a this. My life is a, a, a this, whatever it is. And then you just chew on it. And you just think about it over and over and over those critical, those negative things. 
And this is what he's doing. He's saying, I will remember them. I remember my affliction and my wandering and my bitterness and gall. In fact, the last sentence in that verse, he says, my soul is downcast. Well, of course it is, Jeremiah. Like, what did you think would happen if all you ever do is chew on it, is remember it, is ruminate on it over and over? And are you guys getting this? Does this make sense to you? Of course you feel depressed. Of course you feel like you've forgotten what prosperity is. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Uh, and as your pastor, I don't want you to be uninformed either. That, that God's not embarrassed by, by what you're feeling. That we're not as a church embarrassed about talking about this. That we don't want you to be uninformed. He says that I don't feel that good. That I don't always feel great. I sometimes feel like my mind's in a fog. Sometimes I, I have a bad day, okay? Sometimes I have a, a bad hair day. Sometimes it's a bad hair year, you know, whatever it is. Paul says, I want you to not be uninformed. Like, I go through those times. In fact, I was under great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure, so that I decided, and I really felt like I needed to end my life. He says, I despaired even of life. Hey, listen, one of my goals today is to make it clear that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay that you feel this way. We don't think it's weird. We don't think it's bad. We don't think any less, you know, if, if you kind of feel these dark places in your mind. But until we shine a light on those dark corners in our mind and, and are okay with talking about it, we're not going to find freedom from it. We're not going to get better. We'll continue to, to chew on it. You'll continue to ruminate on it. You'll continue to be the only person that you listen to. We'll continue to just kind of let it sit there and, and dwell on it and possibly even let that lead to making some wrong choices, perhaps even some permanently wrong choices. And again, your pain, uh, there's other ways to, to deal with that. It will end, I promise you. I promise you. I, I wanna share with you a story about a guy in the Bible named Elijah. Uh, he was a prophet of God, one of the major prophets of God. And Elijah was this great man of faith, really. And he had this moment where uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he's up on this mountain challenging, challenging all these other false prophets of this false god, Baal and Asherah. And so he's kind of up there and there's about 850 of them, you know, versus one, versus Elijah. And he starts saying, all right, hey, let's see whose God is really God. You guys go ahead and build an altar, cut up an animal, make a sacrifice, and you call fire down from your God on that sacrifice, and let's see if your God will, you know, show up and do all that. So they built this altar, all 850 of these guys built this altar, started, you know, dancing around, hauling around, started actually cutting themselves, you know, worked themselves up into this frenzy, trying to get their God to show up. Like, come on, come on, come on, here we go, let's gonna cause fire to come down, fire, 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 whatever it was they were doing, and nothing happened. Nothing at all. And so Elijah's like, all right, it's my turn. You guys are done, you know, working yourselves into a frenzy. Nothing happened. Let's see what I can do. In fact, he said, I want you to know that when my God shows up, it had nothing to do with me. He said, take water, dump it all over my sacrifice. Like, I want you to soak that sucker so that it doesn't burn naturally, that it has to burn supernaturally. And then, you know what Elijah did? He didn't work himself up into a frenzy. He wasn't like chanting. He wasn't dancing around. Sometimes I think we do that in church thinking that the more emotional we become, the more God's gonna show up. It's not that way. He doesn't do that. In fact, he just, this is what Elijah said. All right, God, show him who's boss. In fact, his exact words were, let it be known today who is the God in Israel. And at that moment, fire just fell and consumed this, this altar, consumed this sacrifice, and it says licked up every ounce of water that was there, right? And just kind of dried everything out. And you know what Elijah did after that? He killed all 850 of those false prophets. That's a bad dude right there. Put him to the sword, the Bible says. Well, after this incredible victory from this great man of faith, we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is what the Bible says in verse one. Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, really who was the queen at that time, he told her everything that Elijah had done. These were the two that were against Elijah. Everything he'd done on the mountain, and how he'd killed all the prophets. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, may the gods, still little G God, so she still hasn't figured out who really God is. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time you aren't as dead 
as they are. By this time tomorrow, you aren't as dead as they are. And do you know what this great uh, man of God, how he responded to this threat from this one woman? Like after this incredible victory that he had, you would think that Elijah would go like, all right, bring it on, sister. Come on, Jesse, show me what you got, right? You know, I can, I can handle it. Why you step into this? Whatever, right? I just killed 850 of these guys. That's not what he did. Look how Elijah responded on the heels of this incredible victory. It says in verse three, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. One woman scared him. After this crazy victory, after the, the highest of highs, he experienced his lowest of lows and he ran afraid for his life. Can I tell you something? Your low times don't always come on the heels of, of low times. A lot of times they come on the heels of your high times, of some of your, your highest moments. For me personally, I know, my wife Kristen know, we are very aware that on Sunday afternoons, it's some, if I'm gonna have a, a bad day, then that's when the enemy's gonna attack me, Sunday afternoons, because what happens is we can have 1,700 people come to church. We could see dozens of people cross the line of faith and get saved and the enemy will mess with my mind. He'll say, well, you should have said this, or you should have said that, or you could have done this, this differently. And so I'm just aware, Kristen and I, we're just very aware. Even last weekend, she's like, hey, you know, what's wrong? I'm like, I'll just, I'm just tired, just exhausted, you know, just a long day. And she'll be like, all right, all right, come over here, baby. You know, come on, boo, I got something for you. And, and then I won't tell you the rest, all right? Just saying. We're very aware that I can, if I'm gonna have a low time, it's gonna be then, after some of these high moments. And I say that to say, you should be aware of that too. That after some of these victories that you have, that's when the enemy wants to attack you. That's when you can be emotionally drained. And so this is what Elijah is doing. He's afraid and he's running for his life. And the Bible says when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He said, look, you stay here, right? I need to be alone right now. Can I tell you something? He did not need to be alone in those moments. In your low times, you do not need to be alone. It says, while well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, so he's far from anyone who can help. And it says he came to a broom, br brush, broom brush, a tree that could provide a little bit of shade, a little bit of covering, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Take my life. That's somebody's verse right there. You're saying, I've had enough. Man, I'm so done with this. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Four things I wanna give you that I see in this text, and I want you to jot down four things. If you're a note taker, write these down. If you're not a note taker, write these down. See what I did there. The first thing we see Elijah doing, he's rehearsing the negative. He's just ruminating on it. In fact, it's, it's the root of, of a lot of disorders, of depression, to be sure, this kind of faulty thinking. Ruminating on this stuff over and over, we get in our minds and we just have this, this self-talk, this negative self-talk going on. We start lying to ourselves. We start chewing on those lies, ruminating on them, not listening to anyone else, and we're just rehearsing it over and over and over in, in your minds. And when I've discovered, uh, when I'm in those moments of being hurt or, or ruminating on something that's negative, thinking about what if this happens or that could happen or, 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 or this might happen, you're just kind of ruminating on, on it over and over and over. You know what I've discovered? 99% of the time, it never happens. I've just caused myself to, to you know, be sick with, with worry or whatever and it hasn't even happened. And the Bible tells us what we need to ruminate on. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, lovely, pure, admirable, praiseworthy, right? Think on these things. So in other words, we need to reverse those things that we rehearse, those things that we ruminate on over and over in our minds. When you reverse your thinking, which by the way, that's what you're doing today. By coming to church, getting in God's word, starting that process of, of reversing some of those negative things that you you rehearse, it starts to renew your mind, starts to renew your thinking. Listen to me. Some of you, the devil has been lying to you. But if you'll just listen to God, if you'll just listen to God's word, if you'll just listen to the wisdom of God, you can leave here with the peace of God. I believe that with my whole heart.
So the first thing we see him doing is, is kind of rehearsing the negative. And then we kind of said it already, but jot it down anyway. Uh, isolation is your enemy. Elijah pulled away. He isolated himself. He, he said, you stay here. I'm going a, a day's journey into the wilderness on my own. He isolated himself. Listen to me. Some of you in this room, you are isolated. No, I'm not, Colby. I'm sitting right by somebody. How many of you know you can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely? You can be in a relationship and still feel alone. You can have uh, this kind of loneliness in your in your heart. And some of you, maybe you're not alone relationally. Listen to me, you are alone in your thinking. And it's in those moments where you want to isolate. It's in those moments where, where the monster of depression is kind of grabbing a hold of you that you are the last person you should be listening to in your thoughts. You are the last person you should trust. You cannot trust you in those moments. And so you're isolated. That's what Elijah did. He isolated himself. He, he pulled away. Isolation is your enemy. That's why, honestly, we preach groups, 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 not because we want to have some small group empire at church. I don't care about that. And if you don't believe me, go to a different church's group. Honestly, we preach it because this could save your life. Like, uh, we are, if you don't have someone in your life that knows your secrets, right? It's been said, you're only as sick as your secrets, then you're in trouble. You have to surround yourself with people who, who know what you're going through, who know that when you're in those low moments in your life, when your emotions have, have crashed over you like a wave, that the enemy wants to use that opportunity that you need to have other friends that you can take it to, that, that God wants to bring healing through them. Small groups for us in this church is not a luxury. It is a necessity. Like you have to get in a group. You have to get in a group. We're a church of, of groups. We have about 30 or 40 groups or so in this church uh, that meet. And what we do is, uh, if you're not a part of one, you should, you should get into a group. It's that important. In fact, it could be something that saves your life. Um, but we create these little hooks. Like it could be, you know, you want to be in a group that studies parenting or, or marriage or, you know, how to get out of debt, all that kind of stuff. We create these little hooks, these little topics that people think, oh, well, I want to learn about that. Can I, here's a little secret. Those hooks aren't the purpose of the group. They are so far from the purpose of the group. Like you think you're going to learn about parenting. We just want you to meet some people, do life together with some people so that when you have those moments, you can open up and say, hey, no one knows but... No one knows but, and you share with them what's going on in your life. Everybody has a no one knows but, right? And if you feel like, Colby, I could never do that. I could never share my no one knows but with anyone. Here's what's gonna happen when you do. The moment you say, hey, no one knows but, and you share it, someone else in that group is gonna say, really, me too. Like, I didn't know you went through that. I didn't know you were struggling with that. I didn't know you battled that. And you're gonna find out that we're not so different. But we need to get into those groups where we can share that no one knows but with each other. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a person standing alone will be attacked and defeated. He'll be taken down. But two people standing back to back, right? When I got somebody standing back to back with me, I can't see what's behind me, but they can. They can tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you should look out. You know, and I'll turn around, dang, I didn't know that was back there, right? Like two people standing back to back, the Bible says, they will conquer. They will have victory. Like he goes on to say, actually three are even better than that. Like so have, have three, a cord of three strands, a braided rope of three strands will not easily be broken. Three, have somebody look into your, your north, south, east, and west in your life. Like we is way better than me. You weren't meant to do this alone. Here's the third thing I want you to jot down. Uh, don't, don't isolate yourself. And then also number three, feelings will fail you. In those dark moments, you're alone in your thoughts, your feelings will fail you. That's what we see Elijah being led in the story by his feelings. Feelings are a terrible counselor. Feelings are, are not your friend. And Elijah was trusting in the wrong things. Again, emotions are like waves. They will crash in, they will 
come into your life and they will recede, they will go out of your life. And I'm not talking about just bad emotions, just so you know. All feelings can fail you, the good ones too, not just the bad ones. Uh, sometimes, you know, because people will be like, oh, we're so in love, we feel so in love. Our marriage is built on our, our love. Listen to me, married people, how many of you know you don't always feel in love? Anybody? Okay, all right. You don't always feel in love, right? Butterflies don't last. Marriages can't be built on chocolates and, and flowers. Marriages have to be built on commitment, a covenant, a solid foundation. But when you just build it on feelings, oh, we're so in love, you know, nothing's ever gonna go wrong. It's not true. Butterflies don't last. In fact, butterflies die. Do you know what the lifespan is of a butterfly? <laughs> 24 hours, some of them. I'm just saying. It doesn't last. But when you just trust in your feeling, I'm telling you, emotions are a liar. And the enemy loves to use your emotions against you. Feelings will fail you in those moments. That's why you can't be alone. You can't isolate yourself. You can't listen to those feelings. And the last thing that, that uh, we see in this passage, and we read it in the last verse, he says, um, I'm no better than my ancestors. I, I wanna take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Jot this down. Comparison kills your true identity. Comparison kills your true identity. Hey, why do we do that? Like, why do we play the comparison game all the time? We get on social media and just compare, 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 see what everyone else is doing. Can I tell you something? Their life is not as pretty as their Instagram account says it is. Because all you're doing is comparing your, your worst moments, your, your biggest messes in your life to their top 10, right? To the pictures that they won't post, to the ones that look perfect. You zoom out a little bit, you'll see it's not so perfect. Nobody puts their picture of their, you know, dirty kitchen or dirty house in their Instagram photos. Like, hey, look at my messed up life. In fact, some people do because it's that humble brag thing. Hey, look how I don't even mess, care that my kitchen is messy or whatever, right? People do that. But we compare ourselves. And it's comparison that kills our identity. Elijah said, I'm no better than my ancestors. Paul said it this way in Galatians 1. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? In other words, am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, he said, I would not be able to be a servant of Christ. I can't please both people and God at the same time. It doesn't work that way. In fact, you have one person that you need to please. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this, because this will free some of you. You are living as a follower of Jesus for an audience of one. And the sooner you get that and understand that, that you're not living for likes, you're not living for, for reposts, you're not living for, for followers, it will free you. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else and what anyone else is doing because you're living for God alone. Comparison kills your identity, robs you of, of who God has created you to be. In fact, what happens next in Elijah's story in verse five, it says, he laid down, and I want you to notice these next words. This is my, this is my wife's life verse right here. He laid down under the tree and took a nap. Come on, somebody. Like to take some naps. And all at once, verse five, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And verse six says, he looked around and there by his head were some bread baked over some hot coals. I'm gonna add to that some honey butter from the Texas Roadhouse to go along with it. All you paleo people, this is the word of the Lord right here. <laughs> eat whatever you want to eat. And watch this. It says he ate and drank, and then check it out, laid down again. That's my verse for the day. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to get up. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink, and I'm going to take another nap. Come on, right? <laughs> Man, I'm giving you permission. Hey, 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 all kidding aside, some of you have forgotten what a true Sabbath is. You're not resting. I'm not talking about coming to church for an hour. I'm talking about taking a whole day. Go ahead, take a nap today. Get some rest. Have a, have a good meal. Take another nap today. Watch some basketball. Watch UK go to town on some Auburn. Come on, right? I care. I care. <laughs> like, seriously, take a nap. Take a rest today. Some of you need to have a true Sabbath 
in your life. Um, this frenzied pace that we're living in is, is messing us up. Verse seven says, the angel of God showed up a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. All right, so he's eating again for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story, but I encourage you to go back and listen to it or read it for yourself. He gets to this mountain, this Mount of Oreb, in this cave. And the Bible says that God showed up in a big way. Like he showed up in the, the fire and this, this earthquake happened, this wind happened. But then God actually spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice, in a whisper, where Elijah could calm himself down enough to actually listen to God in those moments and experience God in that way. He ex experiences God in that whisper, and what happens after that, God gives him some marching orders. And he says, all right, Elijah, I want you to leave from this mountain and I want you to go anoint this king and then I want you to anoint that king and then there's another guy named Elisha that I want you to go find him, look him up. He's gonna be your boy, he's gonna be your protege and you're gonna kind of you know, pass along your mantle to him. I got some things, in other words, that I need you to do. And you sat down under a tree hoping that you would die but I need you to get up because I have some things that I need you to do. I got some things to show you of a purpose for your life. And in these final verses, when God speaks to Elijah in that moment, um, I see a few more things that I'm gonna believe is gonna help somebody in this room today. Somebody that would say, Colby, man, this, this is great. Thank you for the information. Thank you for the effort. But I honestly feel like my family would be better without me. I honestly don't feel like I can go on. I honestly don't feel like um, I'm ever gonna find victory from these monsters in my mind. I wanna show you four things Elijah did. And I'm praying this helps you. The first thing he did was he got healthy. He got healthy physically. And some of you, you just need to, you need to rest. You need to take a nap. You need to eat something. You need to not, not fast food. Don't go drive through McDonald's, you know, and, and eat a, you know, happy meal while driving with your knee, right? Don't do that. But you need to rest, have a good meal. Take two hours, have a good conversation. Take a walk outside. You need to get healthy, take, take a nap, take a nap. This might sound so stupid to you, but I pray in Jesus' name that you have the best nap and the best sleep of your life today. Because some of you, you need it. Some of you guys are working too hard. Some of you moms, you're working way too hard. That you need a nap, you need to rest. Psalm 127 says that in vain, we are getting up early and we're staying up late. That all we're doing is running around, tormenting and, and toiling over things uh, just to get a little bit more. Maybe if I work a little bit harder, I can earn a little bit more money. By the way, how happy is that making you anyway? So this is what we're doing, this is our life. For God grants, it says, sleep to those that he loves. He wants to give you rest, he wants to give you rest. Then we see, the second thing Elijah did that's important is that he talked to God. He got in the cave and he talked to God. Now what he said to God wasn't even true. Like if you read on, some of what he said was nonsense. He was saying things like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one, there's no one left. And, and it wasn't even true. I, can I tell you something? God can handle your lies. When you talk to God, he can handle your mess. He can handle you just complaining and, and blowing things up. He's God, he's big enough to handle that. But he talked to God. We find out later, God had 7,000 others in waiting, ready to go. But listen to me, God wants you to pour your heart out to him, to have that moment where you can, can meet him and say, God, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what's going on in my mind. I don't think I can go on. He wants to know that. He doesn't need your perfection. He just needs your heart. If you refuse to, to let go of something you're holding on to, how do you think it's gonna get better? Like, take it to God, take it to God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says it this way, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you come to me, if you bring it to me, I'll give you rest for your souls. You need to take it to God. And then we see in this passage that Elijah had this experience of God's power and presence. 
And it wasn't just this huge experience of the earthquake and the wind and the fire. It was this quiet moment where he experienced God, where God spoke to his heart, where he could unload on God. In fact, there's a song that goes like this. It goes, there's a calm that covers me when I kneel down at your feet. It's a place of healing. It's a place where I find freedom. I'm going to sing that verse again. I want you to sing it with me. Just kind of, just, just pour it out to God. There's a calm that covers me when I kneel down at your feet. It's a place of healing. It's a place where I find. In fact, stand to your feet. Let's keep singing this. I feel like God wants us to enter in this moment right here, right now. There's a place my eyes can see where my spirit longs to be. It's a place of healing. Freedom. In fact, come on, let's just lift our hands. I'm gonna lift my hands till I can reach heaven. I'm gonna shout your name till the walls come falling down. I've come to worship. I've come to worship. I'm gonna sing my song like I am unashamed. I'm gonna shout for joy at the mention of your name. Can I tell you something? Many of us, we don't need another explanation of God. We need an experience in the best way I know for you to get that, man, is to spend time in worship. Just worship God. Get in his, his word. Find a place where you can silence the, the noise of the world and increase the volume of God in your life. You have to do it. You have to do it. For those of you that are battling these, these monsters that don't seem to let go, maybe it's you're too busy. There's too much going on. You need an experience from God. One more thing, and I'm gonna dismiss you in just a moment. I know we're a little over. But what God did was he gave Elijah marching orders. He said, all right, you've come, you've met me, you've been strengthened, you're getting healthy, you you're, you're, have this experience with God on this mountain, but now I have something for you to do. I've got a job for you. I have a purpose, I've, I've created you with a, a purpose in mind that I need you to fulfill. Some of us, we're not fulfilling that purpose. And we have, we have crash course and, and, and serve teams. And can I tell you something? That's not to build the church. I don't care about that. It's about building you because God has a specific purpose for you, something for you to accomplish in this life, in this world. And if you're stuck in depression, you're stuck in I'm no good and you're ruminating that over and over and over, you can't even see the purpose that God has for you. One of the best ways I know to, to pastor you and to lead you is to point you to that purpose and engage in it and follow it. Some of you know exactly what it is. What are you waiting for? And just start. God has some things that he wants to do in and through your life. Let's do this. Bow your head, close your eyes. All across this room, there are those in this, this room today Maybe you've thought about ending it all this week, maybe today, but I pray by the, the power of the Holy Spirit of God that you would feel his presence right now like you never have before. That he would draw you so close to him to know that you are so loved, that your, your illness is not your identity, that that's not who you are, that he's created you on purpose 
with a purpose, that he has something in mind for you, that he loves you just as you are, and it's okay for you not to be okay. It's okay to have those thoughts. It's okay to battle that, but what you need to do is take that and, and submit it to the, the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, here you go, and take it to God and to get healthy, to stop ruminating on it over and over but to understand that God so loves you just as you are that he sent Jesus to die for you so he could be with you so his Holy Spirit could come live inside of you and today find freedom and begin the process of becoming all that God wants you to become here with every head bowed every eyes closed maybe you're walk through these doors today and you're not a follower of Jesus in the sense you've never trusted in his death for the forgiveness of your sins, I wanna give you a chance to do that right now because we don't have to battle that. That's something that we already have victory over. We already have victory through Jesus for those sins in our life that we don't have to carry them anymore. And some of you, you're, you're, you're anxious and, and depressed and worried and sick because you're still carrying something that God doesn't want you to carry because you've never surrendered your heart and your life to him. The Bible says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the standard of God. And the moment we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. So this is your moment right here, right now, to do that, to get on your mark, and to understand salvation through Jesus. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm praying it right along with you. Every head bowed, eyes closed. Would you just throw up your hand wherever you are right now, saying, today, I'm gonna make sure Jesus is Lord of my life, that he's taking care of all my sins, that this is not gonna be something that I'm afraid of or in fear of, but I'm trusting in him for salvation today. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Say something like this in your heart. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I trust that your death on the cross paid for my sins, and so I receive that payment. Forgive me for going my own way, but today I'm coming home. You are the Lord of my life and the Savior of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Come on, church, celebrate with those today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.